So we continue and conclude today this series we're calling New Life in Christ. But let me remind you that we are only at the begin, uh, beginning of our journey as a church to really experience new life in Christ. This is really not a conclusion. <laughs> this is uh, a launching point. To experience new life in Christ, there has to be confession going on. Kevin talked about that three Sundays ago. There also has to be repentance taking place in our lives, and Kurt talked about that two Sundays ago. There also, as a part of that repentance, that turning from sin, there's forgiveness toward those who have hurt us, and Brett talked about that last week. And new life in Christ is experienced only within community. And that's what I want to talk about today, is moving into Christian community. I want to share with you my pilgrimage, my story of moving out of isolation and secrecy and darkness into Christian community where I am experiencing being fully known and fully loved. Let me give you the bottom line right up front. So in case you get lost in what I'm trying to say, let me just tell you right now, right at the beginning, what I think the Lord's trying to say today. I'm learning that new life in Christ is fully experienced only as I move out of isolation and into community with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of us need that Christian community if we are to experience new life in Christ, only in community can we practice confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And God is calling us as a church to move into community, more fully into community, so we can more fully experience new life in Christ and help others do the same. I grew up in a church-going Christian family in the 1950s and 60s uh, in the hills of East Tennessee. I was the oldest of three children. We loved University of Tennessee volunteer football, NASCAR, cornbread, turnip greens, moon pies, RC cola, gospel singing, and country music. Amen. Have you ever seen the show, The Beverly Hillbillies? Yep. Have you? We were amazed when that show came on. We couldn't figure out how our family movies got on TV. It was just amazing, and we loved it. And we saw, I was watching them first runs. Many of you have seen them as reruns. I might could introduce myself this morning as I have a new life in Texas. I'm a recovering hillbilly. My name is David. <laughs> and those who know me would say, well, you haven't made very much progress in recovering from being a hillbilly, but you should have met me before I moved to Texas and met Ellen. Now, I've been cleaned up. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. My father was a full-time factory worker, and in addition to that, at the same time, he operated his own home building business. My mother was a full-time homemaker and a part-time teacher's aide. We were in church every time the doors were opened. 
My father was a deacon, the chairman of the building grounds committee, and he was the bass section of the church choir all by himself. My mother ministered to the sick, the poor, the needy, taught children in Sunday school and vacation Bible school and GAs and was active in what we call Women's Missionary Union or WMU. She was so passionate about foreign missions and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for foreign missions that she made a dress and dressed up like Lottie Moon at Christmas time and passed out offering envelopes to help our church family see the need for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for foreign missions. It was quite a journey. The influence of my parents on me, I cannot describe to you. Both of my parents died in 2012, five weeks apart from each other, and I was able to conduct both of their funerals, and I could not, in the short time I was given, speak about how God blessed me through my parents and how through their influence I'm standing before you today as one who knows Christ. They are the ones who planted the seeds of the gospel in my life. But like all families, we experience brokenness. My father was a big, strong man who wanted things done his way, and if they weren't, he often got angry. As a boy, I was afraid of him. I was intimidated by his anger. He was an extreme workaholic. He was unavailable to teach me what fathers need to teach their boys as they're growing up about life. He provided for us beautifully financially, but he was distant emotionally and unable to affirm me as a boy struggling toward manhood. As a result, I was socially awkward and felt inept, felt very much alone. I really felt abandoned, worthless, defective. I feared I would be rejected by anyone who really knew me as I was, so I did the only thing I knew to do, and that was to hide, to isolate emotionally and keep relationships on a surface level. I was around people all the time, but the relationships were very shallow. I was cut off from genuine community. In the middle of all that isolation and aloneness and abandonment, I experienced one of the defining moments of my life. At about age 12, I was exposed to pornography accidentally for the very first time. And what began accidentally continued by my sinful choice to the point that it became an ongoing habitual sin in my life. Now, I'm saying that this morning for two reasons. One, that sin is a huge problem in our culture and in the church in general, and I would say in our church as well. And I want you to know that I'm a safe person. I understand And my email address and my telephone number are in the bulletin under going deeper. I'll be happy to go deeper with you because I've been deep. I've been deep. And the second reason I'm saying it, because I'm on a journey to move into community. And I'm being obedient to the Lord today to move into community like I've never been before. 
So, what did I knew? No. I knew my sin was wrong and it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. I knew 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of our key verses for this series. I knew that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I knew that my sin was part of the old that needed to pass away, so I asked the Lord to take it from me. Wasn't happening, so I asked again. It wasn't happening, so I continued to ask, and I pleaded over and over to no avail. And I was confused and discouraged by that. I was struggling with secret sin, and it appeared to me that no one in my family or my church was struggling. After all, nobody was talking about it. I never heard it once. And I was asking, what's wrong with me? Maybe I was the only one in the world depraved enough to struggle like that. I really thought that. Maybe everyone else had been miraculously delivered from all their sin when they accepted Christ and they didn't struggle with sin anymore. For all I knew, that was the case. Nobody talked about struggling with personal sin. The only people I heard talk about uh, openly about personal sin was when the traveling evangelist or the movie star or the sports figure came around for an evangelistic meeting and they talked about it as almost a glamorous thing. They had gotten so lost in sin and God miraculously delivered them and the implication was that that was the end of the struggle with sin and it didn't continue anymore. I knew Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So I poured myself into absorbing God's word, believing it would help me overcome my sin. I immersed myself in the word. I read the Bible. I memorized it. I meditated on it. I journaled about it. I went to Sunday school classes and sermons and read Christian books and small group Bible studies and through multiple discipleship programs all focused on learning the word of God. I knew Galatians 5.16. I knew it said, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And I knew the Holy Spirit would help me overcome my habitual sin. So I dedicated myself to understanding the Holy Spirit and his ministry in the life of the believer and how I could appropriate his power in my life. I knew John 12, 26, where Jesus said, My Father will honor the one who serves me. So I poured myself into serving the Lord because I wanted to experience his honor and his favor. I led in high school small group Bible studies, in college dorm Bible studies, taught a fifth grade boy Sunday school class at a church near the campus. I went to Brazil on an eight-week mission assignment. I gathered with over 100,000 students in the Cotton Bowl for Expo 72. We heard Billy Graham and Bill Bright challenge us to turn the world upside down for Jesus. I answered God's call into Christian ministry, went to seminary, became a pastor. And I did it all because I genuinely loved the Lord, but deep down inside there was this thinking that if I served faithfully enough, he would deliver me because he didn't want his servants dealing with habitual sin. What I did not know was James 
I went to a conference and I heard, of, and this was years into this pilgrimage. I went to a conference and heard a pastor share his story of how he overcame habitual sin like mine. He said obedience to the truth of James 5.16 was the key. And that verse says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He said he experienced freedom from his habitual sin only as he confessed his sin to trusted Christian brothers in authentic Christian community. Couldn't believe what I was hearing. I knew I was supposed to confess my habitual sins to the Lord. I had done that thousands upon thousands of times. But I had no idea that I was to confess my sins to a Christian brother. Man, when I thought about it, it was the scariest thing I had ever heard in my life. I would rather have gone to Vietnam than to think about sitting down with someone and telling them the truth about me. I could only imagine in that scenario of somebody of telling somebody the truth. I could only imagine get them getting up, running the other direction, screaming, I can't believe what a worthless and depraved person you are. I never want to see you or talk with you again. However, I'd been a long way down the road by this time, and I was desperate for the freedom and new life in Christ that I was reading about in Scripture, so I was willing to take the risk. So many years after that defining moment I experienced at age 12, I had a second defining moment in my life. And I sat down with a deacon in our church and told him the truth about myself. And do you know what he did? He did not get up and run out of the room. He stayed. He kept his eyes on me. He listened to me. And when I finished talking, we stood up and he gave me the biggest bear hug I've ever received, looked me in the eye and said, I love you, I believe in you, I support you. That was my first taste of Christian community. Since then, I've been on a journey of learning to live in community and not in isolation. And that second defining moment, God is using to reverse the effects of that first defining moment. As I live in community, I'm experiencing new life in Christ and freedom from habitual sin. You see, the Lord forms new life in Christ in us. When we are born again, we're babies, spiritual babies. And he has to form. We're not born complete, sitting around ready to go to heaven. It's the beginning of a process where he forms new life within us. And he used three primary resources to form new life in you and me. The first is his word. The second is his spirit. And the third is his people. 
they're like three legs of a stool. You see, for, for years, I only had two legs of the stool in place in my life. His Word, I told you I poured myself into His Word, and His Spirit. I told you I learned all I could learn and yielded my life to the power of the Spirit who lived within me. And I'm glad I had those two resources. In fact, I believe if I hadn't had those two resources, my sin might have destroyed me. But then there was this third leg that I put in place when I obeyed James 5.16, confessing my sin to a Christian brother, moving into community with God's people. You see, freedom from my habitual sin happens when I live in community, bringing my sin into the light by confessing it to the Lord and His people. It takes the three legs of the stool, His Word, His Spirit, His people in community. So I'm going, I want to use the rest of my time to answer three questions about community. So the first is this, where does the Bible teach community? The second is, what happens in community? What does it look like? And third, how can you take a step into community? So where does the Bible teach community? It is not a biblical word. You can't open your concordance and find the word community. It's not in there. However, it is a biblical concept that's woven throughout the Scriptures all the way from Genesis through Revelation. When we read in the Bible about reconciliation, you've heard that word? When we read in the Bible about reconciliation, we are reading about community. 1 Corinthians 5.18, which is the second of the two key verses for this series, says this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That means that the relationship with God that we destroyed by our sin is restored in Jesus Christ, and we are brought back into community with Him. Ephesians 2, 14 and 16 says, For He Himself is our peace, who made us both one and, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility and here's that word again, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So not only has God reconciled us to himself, but in so doing, he has reconciled us to each other through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The human relationships that have been destroyed by sin when Adam and Eve chose to sin in the garden and all of us have followed in their footsteps, that brokenness has been restored in Jesus Christ. In the garden was community destroyed by sin and Jesus came to, to restore the community that God gave us in the garden and holds for us in heaven. 
Reconciliation means we have been brought into community with each other. When we read in the Bible about the body of Christ, we're reading about community. Romans 12, 5 says, So, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. When we receive Christ, we all become part of his body. American Christianity says, when I receive Christ, I have a personal relationship with him and I don't really care about anybody else. When we receive Christ, we become a part of his body and in the body of, of Christ. We have such a close fellowship and relationship with each other that we are members of one another. Membership in the body of Christ means we are in community. When we read in the Bible about fellowship, we're reading about community. 1 John 5 says this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he in the, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus his son. Cleanses us from all sin. When we walk together in the light of Christ, openly and honestly pursuing Christ together, we have fellowship with one another, and that fellowship is community. And then one more, there's others. When we read in the Bible about the family of God, we're reading about community. Galatians 6.10 says, Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As believers, we're all a part of the same family, and healthy families share all of life together. Healthy families don't have secrets. Living together as a family of believers is community. So the second question, what happens in community? Well, a lot more happens in community than we have time to talk about here. I'll tell you that. The word community has come on my radar screen in the last year as our church staff team has become younger. I'm hearing these 20, 30, and 40-somethings use the word community regularly. They talk about being in community with other believers. They talk about the person that, well, he or she just needs to be in community. Or they say, I'm, I'm in doing community with you know, that, that's a really good thing. That's gotten my attention because I think they're reminding our generation that maybe we got off track and maybe we're a whole lot more concerned about other things in the life of the church than we were about real, genuine community. So I asked one of the 30-somethings in my life, Kurt Sparkman, what he means when he uses the word community, and this is what he said. Community is people living together in a way that helps them know Christ more fully. Community is people living together in a way that helps them know Christ more fully. I recently completed reading all of the epistles, all of the letters in the New Testament. Those are all the books between Acts and Revelation, beginning uh, with Romans going through Jude. And the thing that impressed me as I, I read those books is that they are full of instructions on how sinful, broken people can live together in community in the local church 
and help each other know Christ more fully. So I made notes as I went through there of things that were jumping out at me. And, and, and according to these books of the Bible, we are living in community when we rejoice with those who rejoice and when we weep with those who weep. We're living in community when we help each other put off the old self and put on the new self. And, and let me just say, my brother can't help me take off the old self and put on the new self unless he knows where I'm struggling with living out the new self. We live, we're living in community when we accept one another as Christ accepted us. When we encourage one another daily so we won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we won't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. We're living in community when we pray for the brother that we know is committing sin and is on a sinful path. We're living in community when we work to bring that brother back, the one who wanders from the truth, doing what we can to turn the sinner from the error of his way. And I'm using biblical words, not making this stuff up. We live in community when we instruct one another. Sometimes I need somebody just to instruct me, speak truth into my life when we forgive each other, when we teach and admonish one another, when we build each other up, when we bear one, another burden, one another's burdens, when we speak the truth to one another in love, when we avoid lying to each other. You know, one of the biggest ways we can lie to each other is live together as a church and pretend we're not struggling. It's one of the biggest ways that we engage in falsehood within the body. When we rid ourselves of deceit and hypo hypocrisy and we're living in community when we confess our sin and brokenness to others. All of our sin, all of us are broken and powerless to overcome our propensity to sin. Because of our shame and our pride and our fear, we hide the truth about ourselves so we'll appear better than we are. And some of us have come to faith in Christ and we've never admitted to another believer the truth about our past, about our pain, about our brokenness. Some of us know that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ and going to heaven, but we're stuck in habitual patterns, sin patterns of the past result, resulting from our pain and brokenness. Hiding and isolation cuts us off from new life in Christ. We're called to rigorous honesty. We're taught, called to freedom and healing in Christ. And the place we experience the grace of God in its fullness is in community with our Christian brothers and sisters. So how can you and I move into community? So you may be thinking, uh, you know, I've been a Christian a long time and I've never heard of this business of confessing sins to each other and being open and, and honesty, honest. I lived a long time before I heard about it, too. Maybe it was there, and I wasn't ready to hear it. You may be saying, I've been attending all church all my life, and I've never heard of this community stuff. 
You know, may be wondering, why are our pastors telling this, all this stuff about themselves which we really wouldn't rather, you know, we really don't want to know? Why do we have to have these people on screen before the sermons, airing all their dirty laundry in front of everybody on Sunday morning? Why do we show up on Wednesday nights to hear people talk about the ugliness and brokenness of their lives? I, you know, I can't wait till this new Life in Christ series is over so we can get back to normal around here. Well, well just let me say, if the Lord does in our church what your pastors and many other people are praying for and what he wants to do, then we're not going to be getting back to normal around here. If normal is isolation and hiding and secrecy and pretending that we have it all together. All this stuff is happening because God is calling us as a church more fully into new life in Christ. And in the 32 years I've been here, I think we have a long way to go. But I think we're on the way. A year and a half ago, the Lord clearly led the directional team of pastors to implement regeneration in the life of our church. Regeneration is a process of learning to live in community. And the reason we need regeneration is because most of us in this room have lived most of our lives in church, but we've not learned to live in community. So we need a resource to teach us to live in community. And we, once we learn that, then we're to carry what we learn throughout every aspect and area of our church body. We, as pastors, in implementing regeneration, the first thing we decided to do is that we would walk through it ourselves. And, and I would say that that process has been the third defining moment of my life. I never dreamed that I could have the relationships with a pastoral team that I have with the pastors of this church. I didn't think it was possible. In seminary, you're taught... Don't share your personal stuff with anybody in your church. Go somewhere else. That's not community. <laughs> what a blessing that we are on this journey together. You, you can think a lot of things about somebody who chooses to go to regeneration. You could go, <clears throat> well, tisk, tisk, tisk. I wonder what his problem is. I'd really like to know. Do you know? Or you could go, I'm glad we have people in our church that are learning to live in community because they are going to help all of us live in community. And the Lord might be just asking me to be one of those people that helps form community within First Baptist, and I want to go learn that process with them. My life's not falling apart. I'm a fairly mature believer in Christ. 
But I've got a lot to learn about living in community, so I'm going to join in. And then together, as we learn that process of community, we're going to walk through every area of our church life so that all that we do as a church is based in open, honest community. So what's the Lord asking of us? I think he's asking us simply to pray and to be open to the next step he wants us to take to move into community. What is one step in the community that you can take? He's probably not going to ask you to do what I did here this morning or what people are doing on Wednesday night. That one step he may be asking you is to get involved more intimately in in a life group or in a home group or to form a home group or to step into regen to learn the process of community and carry it into the rest of the life of the church. Or he may be asking you just to look around you and say, who are the people that in our church that I think are trustworthy and I can just take a step to move closer toward them and have coffee with them or dinner with them or lunch with them and begin to open up my heart a little and tell them my life story and my my life pilgrimage. I've known them, I've seen them in the church, but they really don't know my story and I would like to know their story. And, And so you begin to test the waters of trust a bit. That man, that deacon I sat down with, we had a history. I knew he was trustworthy. I knew I could sit down with him. I had observed him. Not everybody in the church is safe. And you may have done this. You you may have tried this community thing and you may have gotten burned. Somebody may have have been judgmental and and rake you over the coals to somebody else because you opened up your life and you were honest and vulnerable. And I realize I'm asking you and God's asking us to take a risky step. There's no guarantee there won't be pain on the journey of new life in Christ and authentic community. But let me tell you this. The pain that we experience on the journey to new life in Christ is at least on a journey to life. And the pain that we experience in isolation and darkness and hiding is pain we experience on the path to destruction. Which do you want? There's pain either way. Possibly. So the Lord is saying, will you take a step of faith Will you exercise wisdom and discernment? I'm not asking you to go out to the foyer today and say, Hi, who are you? Well, my name's David, let me tell you. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to let the Lord show you who around you is trustworthy. When community takes place, we're only going to see the the results of it. We're probably not going to see the process of it taking place because it's going to be out there in the body. So God's speaking to us. We've been singing a song in this series uh, called What's the one about when death death is arrested? Is that the name of that, Kurt? 
death, when death was arrested. And the lyrics of that song have just been going over and over in my heart and mind as I've thought about today and prepared for today. And there are two lines that say, and I thought I had them written down, but I can't see them. His grace washes over me. Yeah. I don't think I ever really experienced the grace of God till I was sitting down with that deacon. And I think in that moment, that doesn't mean I wasn't saved. I'm talking about the experience of grace. And in that moment, when he embraced me, the grace of God washed over me in a way that I cannot describe to you. And it was so wonderful that it's continuing to call me on the journey to move in the community. May we move on that journey together as a church by the grace of God.